on digital radio across the UK, online and in your ears right now. Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Is it that time already? Hello you, lovely, and welcome back to the fortnightly show Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. We would do it every week, but we're uh, we're a bit lazy. In this series, famous faces take me on a trip down memory lane to the streets where they grew up. And if you've never heard of Union Jack before, well... Lucky you, because you get to experience this afresh with childlike wonder. Um, I have a sentence of information right in front of me. Union Jack is a new digital radio station that plays the best of British music and comedy and also lets listeners pick every song that plays. And I have a silly beard. Hang on. Who put that in? I'm going to have you fired. What? I don't wield that kind of power anymore. Damn. I suppose it is a silly beard. I'm delighted to say that Sky One is the new sponsor of Hometown Glory. It's right up our street. You know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'll be particularly impressed, I think, with the skill in which I tied our sponsor into the message of our show there by using the phrase right up our street. Um, I genuinely couldn't be any more thrilled to have Sky One on board. They are, of course, the place for homegrown British comedy, drama and entertainment alongside the most popular shows from the United States. Stuff like A League of Their Own, the sports panel show. And I think it says everything about this show that James Corden still takes time out from his American career to come back and do this. I mean, let's be honest, it's not like he needs the money. So he obviously loves it. And that's the sense you get from watching it. They are all having a blast. Him, Freddie Flintoff, Ramesh Ranganathan, who, by the way, is one of the funniest people on television, and all the guests. You can watch this and all of Sky One's other great shows by going to unionjack.co.uk, where you can win SkyQ free for a year. Anyway, today it's time for a writer, performer, director, creator of Outnumbered and panel show aficionado, Andy Hamilton. Fulham, London. It's been around since at least the 7th century, and, disappointingly, the name doesn't come from some king or other being full of ham. If you like bishops, you will love Fulham. The palace here is the historic home of the bishops of London. And if you don't like bishops, keep it to yourself. We'll have no bishop bashing here, please. Over the years, Fulham has been big in pottery, tapestry weaving and early aviation... And more recently, it's given us luminaries such as Loose Women star Janet Street Porter. Well, hello. And and tonight I'm talking to Billy Connolly, a well-known Scottish comedian. Yeah, I couldn't find a good clip of Janet Street Porter, so I thought I'd use that one of Pamela Stevenson doing impersonation of her on Not the Nine O'Clock News. Anyway, who else is from Fulham? Daniel Radcliffe. Expelliarmus! Yes, and with that one, we couldn't afford to use a clip of Daniel Radcliffe from an actual Harry Potter film. So that's my producer, Giles, the one who put in the quip about the beard, doing uh, doing an impersonation. You wouldn't know the difference, would you? Fulham also gave us today's guest, Andy Hamilton. 
Andy is a comedian and comedy writer. He's always excellent value on panel shows. I used to write and hand in homework for an imaginary classmate. And he co-created this. What's a hypocrite? If, for example, I'd said you mustn't eat all the cake and then I ate all the cake myself, then I'd be a hypocrite. What's a Not a very nice word for children to use, really. Where did you hear that? You've been watching Trisha or something. Beloved sitcom outnumbered. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and with the help of an iPad and Google Maps, I'm about to take Andy time-travelling to the streets where he grew up in Union Jack's hometown glory. Andy Hamilton, hello. Hello. So you're from Fulham. I am. So which which hospital were you born in? I believe I was born in St Mary Abbott's Hospital, which is no longer there, which was near Kensington High Street. Do you think your family would have cause to lie to you about that? I wouldn't Or that your birth, was, your birth was such an insignificant event <laughs> that they couldn't remember. I, no, I think that being a parent now, yeah. I know that it would be very, very possible for me to confuse the hospitals that my children were. So it would be quite possible for me to tell my middle one right. that he was born in the hospital that the first one was born in. Did you ever end up back in there? No, I used to rehearse. Uh, when I was working on with Les Dawson, we used to rehearse around the corner from... Yeah, and I went past it many times. There was no blue plaque or anything <laughs> yeah so you know it's not there anymore yeah on the site the site that once stood here yeah birthplace of andy hamilton yeah so what was it what was the first house you were taken home to then the family home the house i grew up in was in ifield road and my house was about five minutes walk from from stanford bridge Probably the earliest sound I can remember is the sound of the crowd. You know, the ornaments used to rattle a bit because there were big crowds in those days. And so did you become a fan from an early age then? Yeah, no, I went to my first game in 1960 when I was five um, and I was hooked really. Have you got a memory of that? I've got, yeah, I've got a version of the memory, how accurate it is. I went to see Chelsea play Newcastle with my brother and I think my Uncle John. So, you know, there was a period where occasionally if you said you were a Chelsea fan, people assumed you were some wealthy parvenu who just kind of, you know, uh, jumped on board. But uh, but I did stand in the driving rain and watch them draw nil-nil with Shrewsbury on many an occasion. You put in the hard yards, Yeah, and say. for, you know, nigh on 20 years, you yep. know, Chelsea were down in the second division. Yeah. So Ifield Road, I'm looking at it on yeah. the screen at the moment, and this, this to me, like, so I'm an adopted Londoner, I've lived yeah. in London 20 no, years, that's, that's I feel like bit. I'm looking at that's the wrong multi-million the pound way. townhouses yes. at the moment. Well, they are it? now, if you keep going, keep yeah. going. Yeah, so we're going. There is an arch, I'll go back a bit, back, back, back. Oh, see that archway? Yes. Right, the house spanning that archway. Yes. That's where I live, that's 108. Okay. My dad got that house. It was a bomb-damaged house. My dad was returning prisoner of war, and he got the house on a controlled rent. Uh-huh. And it had a big dent in the middle from where the blast from the bomb had kind of blown through the middle wall. But then what happened was around the early 70s, mid-70s, the area suddenly got gelsified. It suddenly became prime housing. So I came home from my first year at uni... And all the houses were like ice cream colours all of a sudden. Previously, they'd been plain brick. What happened was the whole street became an expensive Chelsea-fired street, except my dad didn't shift, even though the landlady's son was making him offers to try and get him out. He was a protected tenant on a controlled rent. 
So you had this row of immaculate, slightly Mediterranean-looking houses, all in lovely colours, and then you had this kind of rotting tooth of this <laughs> dark brick house that that my dad stayed in till it till he died. And how how what's the age difference between you and your brother? Seven years. If I was to meet you, aged you're seven, he's fourteen. Yeah. Who's funnier, you or him? Oh, that's a difficult. Well, me probably. I mean, he's moderately funny, but. Are your mum and dad funny? They both had a sense of humour, yeah, but my uncles and aunts were very funny. Do your mum and dad both work? Uh, yes, my dad worked in the same place for his whole working life. He worked um, for Lloyds and Scottish Finance. He was like, I don't know what you call him, really, sort of cross between a building manager and a janitor. and a, His official title was stationary manager. He got that job, I think, age 14, he stayed there until till retirement age. And my mum, yeah, she worked a clerical officer at the Ministry of Defence. One of the things I do remember, I remember her coming home sort of chuckling one day and she showed me this leaflet they'd given her at work, which was supposed to be confidential, you know, she signed the Official Secrets Act, so she wasn't technically supposed to show it to me. It included these instructions for how MOD employees who hadn't been designated places in the shelters, how they were to conduct themselves in the build-up to possible nuclear war. So so mum was supposed, according to this leaflet, mum was supposed to very discreetly buy in a year's supply of tin food. Right. And if possible, <laughs> the other bit I remember is what she was supposed to whitewash the windows. But... I presume, ideally, without causing a panic. Right. So Mrs Hamilton, who happens to work for the MOD, <laughs> seems to have whitewashed her windows, but we would have had to come up with some rational explanation. Oh, yeah, she just felt like a change, you know. <laughs> Do you think they were just saying this to civil servants who then you didn't have a place at the shelter? I think maybe. Just because it was too bleak otherwise. I the think other... it may have been a sop, yeah. It's a bit like, you know, when you go to an airport and, and you go through all those security checks and you think most of these are just an effort at reassurance. Yeah. You know, I don't believe that this guy who's had one day's training <laughs> can stop an ISIS operative who's determined. Yeah, to yeah. Here, but, you know. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One, bringing you the best comedy, drama and entertainment from the UK and US. We'll raise our teacups to that. So was uh, was the TV part of your life when you were a little kid? Yeah, no, the TV was one of my best friends. Right, yeah, yeah I always say that. It was the yeah. other member of the family. Yeah. So I think like sometimes you can like tell the... if you're posh or not. Yeah. If you're posh, when people came round, you'd turn the TV off. Right. If you're not posh, you'd still sit around and watch the TV. Yeah, and no, I think we left it on. It was like the hearth, wasn't it? Yes, and, yes. Uh, um, <laughs> it was the new hearth. I mean, we had a coal fire, but as time went by, we didn't use it. So what do you remember watching? Well, I remember being allowed to stay up to watch Hancock and Grandstand. I know the first thing I ever saw, which was the 1959 Cup Final between Nottingham Forest and Luton. Although my main memory is a guy on the ground and my uncle saying, oh, he's broken his leg, and he, he had... But so yeah. your first TV memory is watching somebody suffer terrible pain. Um, how big a so you're born fifty four? Yeah. How big a part of your childhood was music? Yeah, pop music. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, you know, 
all uh, most of the pop music of the 60s is imprinted on my brain and often comes out to the dismay of the people <laughs> I'm working with. Um, what were favourites? Oh, again, I was I was pretty much a whore in terms of uh, music. The Beatles, yeah, Beach Boys, Dusty Springfield. I had a sort of Dylan phase. Yeah, yeah. And what was your what was your first school? My first school was. Uh, a school called Bowsfield, which is in um, Reckliffe, uh, the, the Boltons. Right. Uh, do you do you remember? Do you remember that sort of terrifying the thing? first day? Yeah. I mean, I had a slightly weird beginning, which was that I I started and then almost immediately had to go into hospital to have my thumb removed, which was actually um, quite an asset because when I came back, it meant that you know I had instant star. Status because you had a missing thumb. Yeah, and I mean, to small children, you know, <laughs> that I would be surrounded by people just would have a look. You know, um, I mean, the story that um, that I've told is I was promised by the hospital staff that I would get to keep the severed thumb. So when I came round after the anaesthetic, it was sort of in a jar, like a little pickle next to my bed. So yeah. I thought, oh great, they've kept their promise. Um, and then I drifted off back to sleep. When I came round the next time, a few hours later, I suppose, it was gone. You know, there was no jar, there was no thumb. And my mum says that she arrived at the hospital, she could hear me kind of roaring with indignation. Someone <laughs> stole my thumb. So um, so who, who was the first teacher you remember at Bowsfield School then? Because something we've come up against, yeah. there seems to be a line between people who grew up sort of pre nineteen seventies or earlier, yeah. that, like that, whereby a lot of the teachers are people who seem to actively dislike children. Oh, right. Well, that's very interesting. One of the changes I've remarked upon is is the fact that kids used to get hit at school. Yeah. You know, and uh, my audience, most of them, have been hit at school, and I ask them, you know, sometimes. What's what's the heaviest thing anyone ever got hit by? That's more at secondary school, yeah. Than at primary school. What's what's the best answer you've had to that question? Uh, the most alarming one was a spade. Whoa! Yeah, that was quite Whoa. alarming. Yeah, I've had cricket bat, electric fire, <laughs> electric um, fire. Yeah, not on. I don't think <laughs> a limb from a medical skeleton. Wow! Um, now my my teach my primary school. The teachers were lovely. My memory of the mm. teachers is they, were, they got a bit sterner as you got older, yeah. you know. But the early ones were, there was a lovely lady called Miss Longford. And I was encouraged, you know, they were very good at encouraging me to write mad stories and stuff. It was downhill from then on. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember anything you wrote when you were tiny? Well, I had a bit of a, a kind of narrative tick, which is that I would write for about a page, page and a half. And then my lead character would just die. He'd just fall off, you know, he'd just get killed. It was like, it was like, almost like I thought, well, I'm not writing for money, so I'll, you know, I'll just kill the Kill the central character. There could have been a bright future in soap operas for you. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, a skill you just, need you know, writing on But they often they were quite perfunctory deaths, you know, like... The, he went out into the forest and died. Oh right, right. Yeah. I mean, some no, some of them were dramatic. Yeah, eaten. That was the narrative trademark that I developed. Who was your best friend at primary school? My very first friend was a kid called Devinda, who was a Sikh, and I remember getting in trouble because I was fascinated by his turban. Um, 
and I was always kind of tugging at it. He was very good-natured and long-suffering, and I remember being told, leave Devinder's Turban alone, you know. <laughs> that's probably, you know, be seen as culturally highly inappropriate now. <laughs> cultural, that, that... cultural appropriation. But, um, yeah, I was just fascinated by how he got it on his head and where it started and stopped, you know. And uh... You don't still have that to this day. What? You have to have a little touch no, I, I have a not, It's a long time since I've gone up to a, a person of the Sikh religion and yeah. tried to unravel their turban. But just, just to do, I'm just, just going to throw it out there. If yeah. you're listening to this and you are Sikh, like just to give Andy a Proustian rush, if you go to one of his gigs, will you let him just no, a little touch? No, no please, because that's, <laughs> you see, that's, that's page three of the Daily Mail right. waiting to happen there and then. <laughs> Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One, bringing you action-packed drama. We're ready. We've clenched everything. Um, what, kind of, what kind of things were you into? Like, what, what obsessed you? What interested you? I measured my life in the distance between Chelsea matches. Right. And Would you ever go to away matches? When I wa- oh yeah, when I wasn't uh, so when I wasn't thinking about football, I was kicking a woolen ball around the kitchen, pretending that I was Peter Osgood or um, Charlie Cook. And did you think you'd be a footballer? Yes, and there's still part of me, <laughs> if I'm honest, there's still part of me that thinks, I wonder if Gareth Southgate is thinking what I really need is a thoughtful, not particularly quick <laughs> midfield player. Um, no, the only things I lacked yep. really were, were were strength and speed and skill. I, I actually became, I'm a now, you know, I became moderately skillful. I'm, I'm, mm. uh, and that's how I've managed to keep playing. Yeah. But um, what were the what were the boundaries of your world? Like, how far from that house in Ifield Road would 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 you stray? Well, I have a memory of quite often waking up on a Saturday morning, and if Chelsea were playing, I would just look at the paper, think. You know, quite often I go to Fulham, but sometimes I look in the paper and I think, oh, Arsenal are playing Wolves, maybe I'll go there. And I would go to Highbury on my own. What age? 10, 11, 12. Right. So it's a negotiate the tube as an 11, 12-year-old. You know, I, I can remember shuffling along in a crowd with my feet off the ground. Now, it sounds terrifying now. Yeah. As a parent, when I yeah. think about it, I think, Jesus. But, but you kind of, I trusted the crowd, so, so not being from London, like I, I always wonder what it's like to be a kid growing up in London and how much a part of the things that people in the rest of the country would think of as London, the West End, yeah. you know, Parliament, Piccadilly Circus, Hyde Park, how much those things are part of your life? Um, not a lot, really. I mean, you know, I used to get, when I went to secondary school, I went on the 11 bus. And in those days, the 11 bus was like a tourist route. You know, you went you went up the King's Road, you went, you know, and I was going to school in Victoria, very close to, you know, House of Commons, Parliament Square. But it's just the place where you live, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I, I tried to run away. Well, I, I, like a lot of small children, I ran away, but I didn't go very far. How far did you get? To Stamford Bridge. Okay. What well, did you have a plan from when you got to Stamford Bridge? Well, it Bridge? was during the holidays. Yeah. And in those days, the players used to train in the forecourt of the ground. 
uh, by the turnstiles. So it wasn't really a way to join the circus. You would always plan to return home after after the game. Yeah, but I, you know, it was a little bit unkind of me. I mean, it must have been a bit terrifying for, yeah, for yeah. my mum, especially. And I think I'm right in saying that was the day of her driving test as well. Um, did she was, pass? <laughs> I think she. I think she had to miss her driving test. What was the most trouble you remember being in? We went on a trip to Austria with the scouts, and I got me and a couple of other kids got um, arrested in inverted commas for fishing illegally off the bridge in the town. This is wild. It was wild. Yeah. We were in the paper, but it, we were a funny item. We were hungry British tourists <laughs> reduced to fishing off bridge, you know. And uh, I never felt I was, you know, I didn't think it was going to turn into some Austrian version of Midnight Express, you know. <laughs> I never felt in danger of being banged up. Do, what about the pictures? Would you get the pictures? Yeah. My mum used to take me to the pictures and my... Actually, that's the other thing I was very... I mean, I wasn't obsessed, but I was very, very keen on epic movies. So I would go and see Spartacus many times. I would go and see Ben-Hur many times. Were you staying in the cinema after the film finished, waiting for it to start I again? used to do that thing that, again, you can no longer really do, which is I would just turn up and, you know, the film would be two-thirds of the way through and then you'd just stay in there yeah. and you'd wait and you'd watch the bit you missed and then probably you'd watch to the end again and um, yeah no I, I used to see quite a lot of films Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack a trip down memory lane with Britain's best loved comedians with Sky One bringing you adrenaline fueled entertainment sounds like our wedding night hello there we're Union Jack. First time listening to us? Welcome to the family. We play the best of British music. Best of British comedy. Don't panic, you stupid little plonker. Don't mention the war. I have a cunning plan. It's not the Versailles. It's a very naughty boy. <laughs> and you lots get involved too. Tally-ho, it's Union Jack. Anyway, back to the main event. Mr. Jeff Lloyd. What was your secondary school then? That was, that was uh, yeah, it was Westminster City, which is on um, Palace Street. And is that was that a mixed school? No, it's boys. Okay, only boys. Yeah. So it was, was that's it... a bad idea. But, yeah. You know, I remember my first day at secondary school. Well, I mean, you know, for any boy who goes to an all boys secondary school, that's a big day. Yeah. Who who springs to mind when you think of secondary school teachers? I had a brilliant teacher called Mr. Huffham. Other end of the spectrum. I don't want to name names. That might be. Just I, we we it, had some it, pretty it, 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 bad initial, teachers. if you want. We we did the class created a fictional child, and managed to maintain this fictional child um, on the register for most of an academic year with one teacher. <laughs> That's how prescient he. <laughs> He was. He failed to notice that this child did not exist. Do you remember the name of the fictional child? Well, no, but I do remember the um, deputy headmaster, who was very good, very efficient, but rather, rather daunting figure. To, yeah. to, I do remember him coming out with a sentence once it had all come out. He he he, he did say, "I will not have fictional children." <laughs> 
being being created at this school, you know. Um, That's uh, a school rule that needed amending, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? That yeah. needed putting in there yeah, into the list. Was, they hadn't put it in at the outset, yeah. but we'll put it in now. What about girls then? I mean, we're, 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 girls. Yeah, your crushes what, now. <laughs> um, like, where, 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 where were you meeting girls? Well, I wasn't really. I mean, that that I was at an all boys school. We were kind of. Um, we, we got a, these hormones raging around. Yeah, we had a sister school called Greycoats. And how far was Greycoats? Well, from? no, it wasn't far. So we would arrange things like the debating society and the girls would come over. But mostly I was in awe of them, um, particularly, you know, the sort of more confident ones. I was just, yeah. First kiss, what age? Twelve. And what was the context then? Was it a, a, oh, a, a party, a party right. where everyone was kissing right. and imagining they were grown ups? Yeah. So then, when when you were starting to get into girls, and where where would you take them? In what would you do? I had a friend who used to live in West London, and all he could think to do with girls was go and stand on a bridge over the Westway. Over the Westway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I was very backward. You know, I really didn't do. Any proper dating. Look at you now, though. It's all worked out Look fine. at me now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked out. It all worked out fine. Um, what age did the dalliance with comedy begin? The first time I got up and performed was I went to Cambridge. So I joined a thing called the Cambridge University Light Entertainment Society, which did shows for um, prisons and old people's homes and children's hospitals and geriatric wards, you know. Basically, people who can't get away. It was just um, captive audience. They were, yeah. and they did. And um, but every now and then, and I, I joined. Weirdly, I joined initially as a driver because I was one of the very few students who had a car. But then I started performing. Every now and then, they put on commercial shows to raise money. They put on a show in the ADC Theatre, or um, and so I. I started writing sketches for those shows and appearing, and so that was right. My... And the, and there'd been nothing of that throughout your school days. Like, would no, your friends from school be surprised at what you ended up doing I, for a living? I did a play. I did a play at school, which was about a school getting snowed in. And I remember I played. There was a kind of comedy fat kid, and I played him. And I remember the sound. Of, I remember the experience of getting a laugh and thinking. Oh, that's quite a nice feeling, you know. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One, bringing you homegrown British comedy, drama and entertainment. Ding dong. So you're going out on tour. You can't resist the lure of the, the road. <laughs> that's right, yeah, I'm doing... It's not industrial touring. Right. It's not like, you know, every every night a different town. Is it boutique touring then? Is that what they call it? Bijou boutique. It's what Arthur Smith calls gentleman touring. Gentleman touring is a lovely phrase. It, yes. I mean, it's, it suggests that instead of a road manager, you might have a butler with you. It, well, a I valet. Think it's a bit more like a sort of comedy tramp. Right. A gentleman, because there used to be that expression, which I mystified some young people with the other day, because I said, I said, um, you know, some rubbish had been left on a bench by a, a down and out. And I said, oh, they said, where's that come from? I said, it was left there by a gentleman of the road. Lovely. And they, they, they were <laughs> bewildered. They said, what are you talking about? And the show is called Change Management. Yeah. Should, should I fear change? Should you fear change? Just gen- generally, I, I, I mean, I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. There's not change. a lot you can do about it. Mm. I mean, most change um, 
you know, including in the the, the widest existential uh, sense is completely unavoidable. Um, but yeah, my show is about sort of, yeah, I'm looking back over the 63 years that I've been on the planet and just charting some changes, you know, some bad, some good. How's how's physical change going for you? For me, I, well, I mustn't grumble. You know, I mean, um, I mean, you've got twenty years on me almost, and you took a you just took a flight of stairs well, far, no, I better, did, I far better no. than I did. I play I play football twice a week, right? But mostly now in an advisory capacity. I've got this far without anything major dropping off yet. So, <laughs> if you could go back and, um, and, and silently observe little Andy at any age, yeah, um, where which, which which era would it be? Probably you look back. Uh, I mean, I, I bet this is true for a hell of a lot of people. Is that you? You wish you could sit your young, young self down and say, "Don't worry so much. You know, it's fine. Yeah, that's normal." And what about going back inside a building as it was then and just getting that, that, that sort of tactile sense of... Yeah. Well, that would probably be restoring Stamford Bridge to the, the one I remember, you know. I did a I did a, um, uh, a film for television called 11 Men Against 11 in what must have been the late 90s and they were developing the ground, you know, the ground was being transformed um, into what it is now, really. And um, I was working with my friend Jimmy Mulville and we were filming in a shop opposite the ground. And on our lunch break, we just wandered in through the building site just to see how it was coming along. And we went up the steps and, and I stood there and and there was one slither, <laughs> like a little wedge of the old terracing that hadn't been knocked down, which was a bit where I sometimes used to stand, you know, when when I used to go... Uh, in a period where I would go with my brother, is up to sort of to the to the right of the shed as he looked at it, and um, that was very nostalgic, you know. Um, and personally, I'm not a huge fan of the the modern ground. I think it's like a lot of the new grounds; it's a bit identikit, and the and they're noisy, they're kind of clattery, yeah, noisy, yeah. but they don't have the noise of when um, that arena, Stamford Bridge, which was massive. True, when there are only 20,000 people in there, it could be a bit thin, the sound. But when it was full, the sound was like the sea coming in. Right. You know, it was a different sound altogether. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to sort of revisit that. Andy, thanks so much. Pleasure. Only on Union Jack. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. And that's that, another trip down memory lane, this time with the lovely Andy Hamilton. Now, listen up, here's the important stuff. Keep listening to Union Jack Radio for the best of British music, ELO, The Beatles, The Who, and the best of British comedy, Faulty Towers, Blackadder, all the usual suspects. And remember, you pick all the songs on Union Jack by voting on the app. If you don't vote, they won't play, and and that would be awkward for everyone. I'll be back in two weeks' time with the legendary and devilishly naughty Anne Hegarty, or you might know her better as the governess from The Chase. Thanks for listening. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. Catch up on previous episodes and Series 1 now. Download the podcast on iTunes or your usual podcast place. Yeah.